Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Seth. And I'm Jesse. We are a fan podcast about the AMC show Mad Men, where we discuss the latest episodes, speculate and analyze things that are going on with the characters of this show that we so adore. We have a website that's at madcast.net. You can also find us on Facebook if you look up Scotch and Smokes podcast. So you can get in on the discussion there and leave some messages on our Facebook page. For this episode, we're primarily going to be discussing the season six premiere of Mad Men. And this one is entitled The Doorway. Before we do that, we could do a quick catch up to where we are catching up to season six. Of course, our premium subscribers got our fantastic end of season analysis of season five. Oh, that it was oh. so well produced, yes. too, Brian. I have to give yeah. you props for that. It yes. was so well done. Yes. I really, really was amazed at the amount of insight you had, Seth. And oh, oh thank you, wow. Jesse. It was just well, you amazing. know what I really liked? I liked how you deconstructed Megan's. Zuby Zuby Zoo dance with video. I thought that was fabulous. Yes, it was. I mean, you being a, a connoisseur of the dance, you, you know, you were well placed to do that. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> oh. So, for those non premium subscribers, in the interim time between season five and season six, we were basically left with the closing shot in the final episode of season five where Don is at the bar and some women are there and they ask him if he's alone. And then, of course, the speculation is, will he revert back to his old ways? And that's sort of what we've been speculating for a long time. In the interim time, the cast and crew have done their little interviews and promo bits where they talk about some of the goals for the season. It's all very vague. Nothing's really been expressed too much that it's going to give anything away. The one promo photo I'd seen several months ago was of John Hamm and Jessica Pare on location in Hawaii. Of course, that was the beginning shots of this episode. So, I mean, we're going to talk about season six now, so it's sort of like moot at this point, but obviously we wanted to see what was going to happen with Dawn and whatnot. But as you sat down to watch this episode, what were your thoughts or your expectations for the season going into it? Oh, gosh, I really didn't have any expectations, Brian. I just, uh, I purposely stayed away from blogs and hype. I didn't really want to read too much. The other thing is that as a critic, I should say that about three seasons ago, I believe it was three seasons ago, maybe four, in the middle of the season, critics like myself stopped receiving advanced copies of the episodes. We used to get every episode a week before they would be shown so we could watch them at our leisure, we could rewatch them, we could write at our leisure, basically. Hmm. Matt Weiner sent all of us a letter, a very nice, nice letter, I must say, but nonetheless saying that he's not going to do that anymore. They're not going to send out screeners, and obviously because he wanted to keep all the plot details to himself and to, you know, the actors. But in truth, I think he's really gone off the deep end a little bit, because before this season, um, now I should say in each of the subsequent seasons, they would send us the first episode. That's it. Mm-hmm. Early, in other words. So, like, last season, we got a very nice box with the new episode in it. This season, we got the box with the new episode in it. But his letter this season was very interesting. I mean, he basically went out of his way to say, do not give any details in your write-ups if you're going to write a preview of the show. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, before the show airs. And the thing is, he listed about six. I wish I had the letter here. He listed about six different things that he did not want us to let out of the bag. And I have to say, they were just so innocuous. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was, don't let your readers know what year it is resuming. And I thought that was really silly because, I mean, what is it, several months after the end of last season? I think that's all it is, maybe mm-hmm. a year or so. It's not really terribly germane to the whole thing. Then uh, a couple of other things. He said, don't talk about the relationships, the new relationships in the episode. Again, what is he talking about? I mean, there's, I really don't see any new relationships. I mean, maybe Sandy, maybe the, the young girl who plays violin, who's a new friend of Sally. I was going to say little Sally, but she's, she's not little Sally anymore. But Weiner's obsession with secrecy, I think, has really gone off the deep end here. So I really didn't have too many expectations for this season. Sorry for that long answer. Jesse, what about you? Well, I just wanted to share with that Maureen Ryan from the Huffington Post actually mm-hmm. did a posting, Mad Men Premier Secrets, What We've Been Warned Not to Tell You About <laughs> Season 6. <laughs> That's very easy to find. Do a Google search. Maureen Ryan, one of my favorite yeah. writers, big Doctor Who fan, and she talks about in the letter, which was sent out in the Mad Men press kit a few weeks ago, he right. listed five things. Don't talk about, you know, the relationships okay. and... Yeah. Don't talk about the new characters, and I do agree with you. I think he's a little bit crazy. Maybe because I knew that, I did not have any expectations. I was excited about the show coming back. I always enjoy the show, but I was just kind of waiting to see where they take us. What did you think, Brian? What were your expectations? I don't know if I had expectations for the season, per se, other than seeing how things are changing in terms of like the culture of the, you know, New York and just the country that, cause it's so different now from that's the thing that kind of struck me right off the bat was, wow. If you were to watch the first season of Mad Men and then somehow zip ahead to this season, I mean, the characters are there and obviously they've grown, but like the whole environment is so different. If you were yeah. first going to watch Mad Men to get like that early 60s, almost a late 50s-ish sort of vibe and culture, now it's so different. And if you were somehow turned off by late 60s, free love, blah, blah type of stuff, you'd be like, oh, I wouldn't want to watch a show about whatever. I mean, by this time you're invested, but for someone that didn't care for that, it'd be just so different. Well, you know, it's interesting. Some things have changed, but some things haven't in the time span, it seems to me. One thing that's changed, obviously, is that Don and polite company socializes and interacts with Jews now. I mean, in the first season, you remember, they couldn't even find a Jew in <laughs> Sterling Cooper. Right, and they, they right. were looking for it. They found one in the mailroom. But- another thing I noticed, too, was uh, we're jumping ahead into the episode already, but when he introduces his secretary, he doesn't yeah. say, this is Dawn, my secretary. He says, this is Miss So-and-so. Yep. And I thought that was a very telling change from the previous interactions and relationships they had because it was like no she's not just some person whose name is dawn by a first name basis he had a respectful introduction to her which i thought was interesting yeah now that's a good point but the thing that i thought hadn't changed was when they were sitting in new year's eve talking about one of don's the neighbor couple there the blonde and, and her husband 
and he was talking about some sales manager in his company who obviously turned out to be gay mm -hmm. and was arrested in an airport. Was it an airport? or It was the bathroom of, bathroom of a store or something. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of that senator. But <laughs> yes. um, they were very reluctant to talk about it, and it was certainly still a taboo. And uh, then, we, you know, we have to think back to uh, Sal, mm -hmm. the art director at Sterling Cooper, who was very sadly dismissed. Right. And then in other terms of expectations, from a story point of view, in terms of the arc of the season, last year, since we were doing the podcast, I was very aware and had full attention to all kinds of these story beats and wondering, you know, what was going to play out over the season. Of course, as we look back in the first episode of last season's premiere, Lane had his issues about money that started from the very first minutes of that episode. And that, of course, played out to tragic events later towards the end of that season. So... In this episode, I was paying attention to possible things that could play out. Maybe if I watched it on a second or third viewing, I would probably, you know, really, really scrutinize certain scenes to see what was coming up. We'll just have to see as the uh, weeks go by if anything does come back that at first glance might have seemed innocuous, but then becomes much more important. You know, my wife has been a fan of the show from the beginning as well, mm -hmm. and she did not enjoy, in fact, she gave up on this episode that's about, a great point that's a about great 15 point. 20 minutes into it she goes it's just too weird yeah. uh so we stopped and i was gonna wait and watch it with her and she finally said don't delete it but go ahead and watch it because i know you're gonna have to talk about it and i sometimes wonder if they're just getting a little too cute mm -hmm. you know they're just mm -hmm. being a little too out there. I mean, because at first they start out with the image of somebody we know later working on the door guy, Dorman. Right. But, yeah. But Don doesn't talk for a while. Yeah. Right, and and right. you're like, okay, is this a dream? Are they really not in Hawaii? You know, what's going on? Like I said, sometimes just too cute for their own good. Yeah. I felt the same way. Like the beginning 15 minutes was surreal and if it had somehow that had carried forward somehow, but the whole bit about the thing at the beginning and then there's like this jump cut of time where they're back or you see it again, but then like you jump to a time when I guess they see him again, the doorman a week later, and then you're like, well, this happened before. Yeah. I, I didn't understand that whole narrative structure. It didn't need to be that way because nothing else in the episode was like that. It just didn't make any sense. I was like, and I don't know. Not to jump to the ending, but they cut to the end at New Year's Eve. The surgeon gets the phone call and they go, it's one in the morning. And I'm like, you've been drinking. <laughs> what the hell are you going to do? But they go get skis. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, yeah. this has to be a dream now. You know, they cut to Don going down to get cigarettes. He's with him finding skis, and he's talking to Don, and then he goes off. It's like, what the hell? Is this a dream or not? Yeah. And it was very strange. Yeah, that cut to the storage room caught me totally off. I'm like, again, what are we in the same day? Is this something different? I didn't get that at all. I feel like there's a missing scene there or something where they were like, I need to go find my skis because there's no... I mean, they had the cover line where Megan says, you're not going to find a taxi or whatever, but still, it was very odd. I have to say, growing up in New York City, when there's a lot of snow in the city, people do take out cross-country skis and they ski. Mm. It happens all the time. 
I actually wasn't confused by the storage room. Initially, we saw suitcases down there. I really thought the doctor got a call from a girl, and he was packing a suitcase, and he was leaving. That's really what I thought was going on. Mm -hmm. I just felt when Don said, I'll go down with you, I just got a feeling something evil is going to happen here. Something, they're up to no good. Mm -hmm. Where are they going? <laughs> I guess they're trying to show the dedication of a doctor and the, sort of the urgency, whereas Don's job may be more glamorous. He may even get more money than the doctor. But nobody's going to call Don at 3 in the morning to do an emergency operation on an ad. Although, although, Burke Peterson did call Peggy pretty late at night. I think she said it was midnight. Yep. Maybe Weiner is showing how the jobs are different in terms of their importance. I did take away from that scene, however, that the doctor said to Don, quit smoking. That's a good resolution. It was New Year's. It's a good resolution. And Don's looking outside. And it just seemed to me Don is staring out into space a lot in this episode. And I felt he befriended the doctor in part because he wants the doctor's advice about his own health. When Don said, you have to come to my office to get this camera, but if you come to my office, I can come to your office, meaning I can come to the doctor's office. And I just felt that Don is worried about his health. This episode was so much about death and mortality. I think it was not inconsequential that Don befriends a doctor and that when the doctor finds Jonesy, the doorman, and he's down, Don freezes. And Don, who's always so cool and calm and collected in emergencies, here he was frozen. He had to be told twice by the doctor, take his coat off, take his coat. Don was shocked. He couldn't move. And I thought that's because Don's looking at this guy. He thinks, well, he's about my age. He's having a stroke or a heart attack. I could be next. Maybe I I'm overthinking. No, no, no. I think that Don... Because when we show his ad for the Sheraton, oh, yeah. they keep thinking, you know, a star is born. And yep. by the way, I knew the movie they were talking about beforehand. I was raising my hand in the living room. Oh, pick me, <laughs> pick me. I know it, I know it. Uh, you know, and they talk about the, there is no body. It's just the footsteps and how Don would not let that go. So I do think he's obsessed with death. I thought it was interesting in the New Year's Eve party that the blonde seemed to be really flirting with Don. Totally. And then, totally. But then when we cut to Lindsay Weir from Freaks and Geeks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I kept thinking, I know that actress, yeah, I know too. that actress. Yeah. They see them together, so he's befriended the husband of his mistress. And yeah. that's just a little strange. How interesting that when she says, what do you yeah. want to do or something, and she goes, I want to stop doing this. Right. Let's go back to the beginning of the episode because we talked about that sort of surreal opening part and they're in Hawaii. And my observations of that was that it was so bright and colorful and so non-Mad Men-ish. Usually Mad Men has stark lighting or just, you know, certain types of whites and blacks and grays. And this was like, it was Hawaii. There was flaming stuff spinning around and there's lush green foliage and all kinds of bright flowers and lays. And, and like you pointed out, Jesse, the dialogue from Dawn was non-existent. I was like watching the little clock and waiting for what his first line would be and to whom. And because everything was like Megan talking to him, but him not responding or someone coming up to him and trying to engage in conversation, him just sort of nodding or 
barely tilting his head in acknowledgement. And finally, the first thing he says was when the guy asked him what service he was in, and his line is army. And that was the mm. first thing he said. Any thoughts about that part of the trip for them? Did you feel like when you saw the Megan and him together, did you catch any kind of vibe? You know, when he was talking to that army person that was getting married in the morning, did you, what did you take away from those scenes? I thought it was very interesting that the young private first class Dinkins there at the bar, a couple of things from that scene. First, Don's got a beautiful wife, a young wife. He's in Hawaii, he's on vacation, and he can't sleep. Mm -hmm. It's four in the morning, you can't sleep. What is the problem there? Well, then I guess we find out that the problem in part is that he's cheating on his wife. So maybe that's what's keeping him up. But that I thought was interesting. And then you flash ahead to Henry Francis and Betty's house. And Betty gets up in the middle of the night. She can't sleep. And there's Sandy, the young girl with the violin. She's sitting there smoking. <laughs> she can't sleep either. So we got a lot of unhappy people or a lot of nervous people or something's going on here. So I took that from that scene at the bar. I also thought that this private first class Dinkins reminded me a hell of a lot of a young Roger Sterling. He was very brash. He was drunk. Yes. But he also reminded me of Conrad Hilton from a similar type of scene where Don is kind of alone in a bar and he meets this guy who turns out to be Conrad Hilton. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it was also trying to show that Don is older, that it's a different war. It's Vietnam, but it's still war, and people die in wars. Dick Whitman died in the war, essentially, and here Don is being reminded of a war. Mm-hmm. He's being reminded of a guy who's in a war, who's just getting a leave to, to get married. I just thought it reminded Don of his war experience and also with that lighter. You know, you remember that Dick Whitman actually caused Don Draper to die when his lighter got caught in um, a match or a, I think it was a lighter caught on some combustible material and that caused the explosion that, that actually killed Don Draper. Hmm. So I think he was prompted, he was reminded of that by the guy in the, in the uniform. That's what I took away. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed the conversation, yeah. the interaction between Don and the soldier. And I like the way he said, I want to be you one day. I want to be the yeah. old veteran that can't sleep and talking to the young punk. And yeah. that's what made Don agree to, I think, give away the bride. I was surprised how quickly we saw Betty and Sally this episode. Because we did not see Betty last season for a couple of episodes. Right. And the other thing that struck me is... Betty doesn't even comment about the teenager smoking in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, yep. No, what are you doing? Does your parents know you smoke? Just it's perfectly, oh, no big deal, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I, that bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Then Bobby Draper says to his mother at one point in the show about her new hair color. I hate it. It's ugly. You look ugly. And nobody disciplines him on that either. I thought that was very strange. Then when they're looking at Sandy's violin case, little Bobby says, it's really cool. It reminds me of a coffin. Mm -hmm. And nobody says anything about that. And then in the car, when they're in Betty's car, when she's driving like a maniac and she gets pulled over by a policeman, Betty's mother-in-law says, this couldn't get any darker. Mm. And then Sandy says, my mother died. And the girls laugh. I mean, it's just, and nobody is disciplining them at, I thought, at any yeah, point. I thought that whole Betty part of the 
show her beeline story. With the part where she's looking for Sandy, I mean, I understood that. For whatever reason, she almost has more attunement to Sandy than her own daughter. She sees something maybe of herself and yeah. someone who had been young yeah. and went into the city. And she sees Sandy as having talent, whereas yeah. Sally is just kind of like this kind of snobby, snotty little kid. And almost in the reverse way that Glenn wanted to tag along with Betty in the early seasons. This was like Betty wanting to tag along with Sally. Sandy and yeah. wanting to live through her vicariously. So that part out of the story I thought was interesting, but the beginning part with Betty was just so bizarre. I mean, like you said, there's the part where she gets pulled over. Was there a, a lesson for that scene for her driving recklessly or, and then the whole conversation where she's talking to her husband about, do you want to go and rape the girl? And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> What is going on? Yes. That was so just out there. I was like, what? Is, yeah. What? How does it even come out of her mouth? She may be off her medication. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That that was just crazy. Crazy. Well, that was. That was, that was incredibly creepy. And yeah. it wasn't even funny. You know, and he's, you know, well, you've been wanting to spice it up. <laughs> now, I will disagree. I thought the Betty going into the city storyline, I thought the story was fine, but I thought the characters, they were kind of caricatures. Mm. It reminded me of the Star Trek episode where they're going to Eden, where they have the space hippies. (laughs) And it's just this kind of, hey, man, Mm. you know, we just go get snow to put our water. Mm. We're going to make goulash. And it just, they seemed a little too out there. I don't know. To me, those guys could have been like any of the like 99 percenters that were out there just kind of like, okay. it's cross-generational to me. They're just guys living off of nothing. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what's important about those hippies, and again, I may be overanalyzing this, but I mean, if you remember what we talked about last season, almost over and over and over again, and I think what I'm really happy about from last season to this season is that Many of the themes that we talked about last season are totally on display in this first episode. And one of the things we talked about was material happiness and how Don and Betty and Pete and even Peggy to a certain extent, and Roger certainly, have all this material success, but deep down they're pretty unhappy. They're not happy campers. They're always looking for a new thrill. They're always seeking something that they can't find. And that's their life. Okay, and then you have Sandy, little Sandy, probably naively sort of glorifying these hippies at St. Mark's, saying, you know, these guys were just living, they're just living, and it's beautiful. And then Betty goes to look at it, and I don't know about you, but I didn't think it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just about surviving, and maybe they're trying to show that only a naive little girl would glorify this kind of lifestyle, as opposed to the material happiness of Don Draper and Betty and all them, although not really much spiritual happiness. Mm -hmm. So I think Sandy's saying these kids are spiritually happy. They're enjoying their life. I didn't really see it there, but okay. And then you have the life she's trying to get away from, which is Betty's life, where Betty has a beautiful house, has food, has water, has electricity, but obviously still is not a happy camper. I don't know. I thought that's what the hippie scene said to me, that there's two different kinds of worldviews. 
And now that it's 1968, we can really bring in these hippies who actually, you know, really thought that life was not about material happiness until they got much older. And then, you know, they became people like Ben and Jerry. Hmm. There certainly was a very interesting visual cut when they went from that rundown building where these people were living in, and they cut yeah. to Roger sitting there with his daughter in this exactly. totally opulent, over-the-top right. room, which probably one of many in this mansion that they live in. The juxtaposition was just, like, crazy. Yeah, you know, speaking of juxtaposition, they went from that scene where, if you remember, Betty said to the boy who was cooking, she said, so where are you from? And he says, I'm from everywhere. And then the next scene, you're right, we're in Roger Strong's mother's apartment, and Roger's sitting there with his daughter, Margaret, and he brings the bottle of water from the Sea of Jordan, mm. and he says to her that your grandfather was everywhere. Mm. Just like this boy was everywhere. But you really got to think that that boy going everywhere versus Roger Sterling's father going everywhere, those, those are two different everywheres. And then, too, actually, now that I think about it, the comment about we'll go up and get some snow to boil water, and here he is, Roger, holding this jar of kind of dirty river water, which is that's exactly. a nice parallel there. Exactly. It's a lot of, yeah, water, exactly. One of the things that did bother me this episode, it is just the reality, we talked on this a little bit, all the change in facial hair. <laughs> and Don is sticking with his classic look, but Pete's got more sideburns as his receding hairline is going. And <laughs> the full beard as they're smoking a joint in the office. <laughs> the contrast between Don and his white shirt and suit and tie and slick back hair and the guys who work for him now, their long hair, no ties, no jackets. Well, yeah, right. The difference the, between last I mean, season is crazy. I mean, Stan looks, yeah. he's heavier, he has Stan his looks, beard. Even Michael, yeah. who last season was, basically came in wearing a tie. He was sort of like a mod-looking yeah. thin tie yeah. or whatever. But now he's all paisleyed out. One of the funny visuals was when Don and the Doctor are walking through the office to get to the supply closet. And there was a guy just like totally sacked out on the couch. Yep. It was just out. <laughs> and I was like, what yep. What kind of work environment is this where people are totally getting high? They're just like passing down the cat. And the doctor thinks nothing of it. He's just like, eh, it's the 60s, man. Yeah. I like the new character, Bob Benson. The <laughs> actor, James Woke, has yeah. been in a couple of things I've enjoyed watching. He's... God, a brown noser ever. And I kind of like Ken Cosgrove calling him out. Like, at first, I thought he was serious. Oh, are you out here for your catering business? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go back to your office and actually do what you're wanting us to think you're doing out here. Yeah, there's a couple characters that were not taking a lot of gruff this time. Like, Harry Crane was not at all happy about nope. being excluded. Nope. And yep. Pete although he had a very minimal part of this episode, was very direct in saying, oh, so Don's back, and oh, now you're just going to go take a nap, aren't you? You know, <laughs> yeah. He's not hiding any sort of contempt for the way Don does a lot of his business. you got to remember that Bob, the brown noser, don't you remember how Don Draper got into Sterling Cooper? He brown-nosed Roger. He was relentless. Remember he sent to Roger's wife, Roger bought a mint coat from Don, and Don put his resume in the box with the mint code. Talk about being uppity and kind of unprofessional. That's how Don got in there. Mm. So that's what Bob's trying to do. Bob's trying to move up in Sterling Cooper by doing the same things that Don did to get in. So, I mean, I thought that was an interesting parallel. Then the part about Ken Cosgrove giving Bob a hard time. 
I felt there were a lot of people giving, a lot of established people giving a lot of younger people a very hard time. Peggy, who obviously has become Don Draper, she was shitty to her co-workers, the people who report to her. I mean, they were working on New Year's Eve, for goodness sakes, and Teddy Chow came in just to find out who was working at on New Year's Eve. And then he even has to say to her, hey, you know, let them go. They can go home. Yeah. It's like totally a Don Draper thing. She was nasty to her underlings. I thought Ken was nasty to Bob. I thought Don, for the most part, was kind of nasty to PFC Dinkins until he finally said he would give away the bride. But when he gave back the lighter, when he realized he had his lighter, he threw it in the garbage. And the maid had to find it in the garbage. Right. And then he brought it into the office, and he gives it to Don. And Don says, do you want me to send a note with it? And he goes, no, I just found it on a bar stool, which was nasty as hell. I mean, I just got a lot of nastiness in this episode from older people to younger people. And again, I think maybe that's they're trying to show the generation gap. But then you know what? The hippies were kind of nasty to Betty, so... I really agree. I think that's going to be a theme, this yep. generation gap, this season. Yep. It fits with the time. It makes sense. Is Don out of touch with the market? What's going on? So why do you think Betty dyed her hair? Well, I mean, the obvious thing is because the hippie said to her, you know, you would that hair from a bottle, and she didn't like that. But, you know, then it's the whole sort of madman theme of, trying to be somebody you're not and trying to do things that probably are not you, but you're influenced by advertising. So here's Betty, who's trying to be somebody else by getting a new hair color. It's not who she is, but she's trying to be somebody else. And Don, of course, as we know, is somebody else. Yeah, Betty, part of her was like someone you could admire for her wanting to find and take care of Sandy. Yeah. The talk she had with her in the kitchen while Sandy was smoking was like, wow, she's like really trying to relate to her in her kind of superior way. <laughs> I mean, she's still so trying, was, not doing a good yeah. job. But she, but, but she was trying as opposed to yeah. relationship she has with Sally and those weird is, comments she had with her husband. But, but did you notice when she comes back from trying to find Sandy and Henry asks her where she's been? She easily could have told him, hey, yeah. I was trying to find Sandy. I was trying to do a good deed. She says, oh, I was out doing some errands well yeah that's because sandy supposedly had gone to juilliard and did not and i always look for secondary characters giving lines that are important to the main characters and in this one sandy had a line where she said it's incredible how fast people come up with lies around here yeah Mm -hmm. and that's true i mean she yep Absolutely. And that's true of every single character, basically, on the show. Yeah, but meanwhile, she was lying, too, about going to Juilliard. Right. (laughs) In previous seasons, Sally Draper was kind of like the lone voice of Mm -hmm. honesty. She's not anymore. Her little brother, Bobby, has inherited that role. And and that was partly why he said, I think my mother looks ugly with that haircut, and I I hate it. So I think he's become the new sort of voice of truth mm. on that show where everybody else is bullshitting he's actually a kid who's who doesn't know about bullshit mm. yet he's a direct person i wonder what's going to happen with roger because it almost seems like the trajectory with him in this one where he's saying life is just picking up pennies that one after the other and you know you don't right. really it's all just this path and it doesn't really matter it's a kind of fatalistic viewpoint and 
it kind of is what Don is going through at the moment. He's like seeing death and it's not usual for them to have two characters kind of be not redundant, but like they're sort of going through very similar character emotions. And I don't see them like having such duplicity and character arcs. So I'm wondering how that's going to be made individual and so that they're not totally overlapping. I'll tell you, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I think that Matt Weiner is foreshadowing both Don and Roger's death. In this episode, you brought up earlier the doctor telling Don to quit smoking. Roger's daughter says to him, you, right. Should, right. you should quit smoking. So they right. both were giving directives that they need to stop. Right. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe they both are on the same parallel track to oblivion, this dark end, and maybe one of them pulls out and one of them does not. Well, obviously, it probably would be Roger because I don't think you can kill off your main character with a season left yeah. to go, but um, who knows? Yeah. Well, this oh, yeah. may I mean, be I don't think it's going to happen. You know. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I mean, I think yeah. it's going to happen next season. Mm. I thought it was very, very interesting that Roger made the joke after yeah. the hotel pitch about, and we used to pitch death. You know, we used mm-hmm. to do right. for lucky strikes all those years right. you know there has been theories that the series will end with either roger or don jumping out the window to echo the opening credits mm. right um, well roger did say at the memorial service after don had barfed and whatever he's like this is my <laughs> funeral everyone get out yeah. now i thought that there was more to don throwing up than it turned out to be I assumed it was something more than just him drinking too much. But it appears at this point that's what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, he's older, he can't hold his liquor. Yeah, he's showing his age, but I think what got him was when Ken asked about his mother. Yeah. I think that really put him over the top. He looked awful. You're right. When he was standing there in the funeral, I was watching it with a friend, and I said, God, Don looks awful. Yeah. He looked awful for a reason. Yeah. But- I mean, John Hamm did a, a terrific job looking just totally blitzed and out of it. That yeah, it was terrible. He, he looked yeah. truly like he was just about to collapse. And it made me think of one of the scenes in the early seasons where Don, to get revenge on Roger, they go to lunch and they eat, they drink and drink and mm. have oysters. And yep. then yep. he pays the elevator operator to have the elevator closed. They've got to walk the stairs. Right. And then Roger right. just pukes in front of the client. Mm. You know, the guy's rushing to get Don out of there and then giving him shit the next day. Yeah. Once again, as you talked about, Seth, a very change of how things are going. Speaking of the, the lighter, it's a very obviously a very the token of it. The, the the fact that it was that was what made Don just go off the deep end. The inscription on it. This was again sort of a line delivered by a secondary character, not verbally, but actually on the inscription this time. It said. In life, we often have to do things that are just not our bag, PFC Dinkins. And I thought that was, I mean, a little bit over, sometimes Mad Men is criticized as being a little bit over the top, over, you know, banging over your head with uh, obvious uh, statements and whatnot. But uh, I think that does fit in well with like a lot of the themes we've talked about in the past. Sure. And certainly uh, what what's Don in this episode was dealing with, you know, he was 
feeling like, you know, this doctor does all these great deeds and here I am, I'm doing whatever. But although I always felt like he's never felt badly about what he does for a living and, or not like it's not fulfilling in some way because he's good at it. He makes money. He got a thrill from the creativity of it. So I don't, this, this new sense where suddenly he doesn't feel like what he's doing in life is um, somehow worthy or fulfilling. It's kind of a new thing, but maybe again, seeing that inscription rocked something and changed his outlook in some way. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, again, I think it's, it's like he's reached sort of a pinnacle in his profession and it's not as thrilling as as it once was for him. It mm. just, I mean, I think that's what Roger's saying to his psychiatrist too. Mm. Ro- is it Roger that that whole soliloquy that he has about doorways and passageways mm-hmm. and windows? And yeah, I mean, he's just he's not fulfilled. He's he's he just doesn't feel anything. As mm. he said, he just you know he's got all this money. He's got a lot of privilege. He can do what he wants, but. He's not really happy. I think he really wants to be with Joan. Mm. And, I mean, he's had a child with Joan. Um, but why wasn't Joan at his mother's memorial? Yeah. Well, they brought that up in the episode, too. Um, I guess, well, I'm, I, even though it was a two-hour episode, uh, there's characters, obviously, that didn't get attention. So I have to feel like they're going to bring them up in the next episode or two where we're going to see more yeah. of Pete. We're going to yeah. see more of Joan. Um Ginsburg. Yeah. Yes. So how do you guys feel about Don cheating again? Do you feel <laughs> a little disappointed? Are you – I mean, I really was pulling for him in Megan's marriage. Mm-hmm. And so how do you feel about that? Well, you know, I was watching it with a female friend, and I said the same thing. I was disappointed in Don. I thought he had turned a, a new leaf. I mean, certainly he had opportunities to cheat last season, but he didn't because he was newly married to Megan, and, and, and this one was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and this woman who was watching the show with me, she said, Seth, men never change. They never change. I think that's interesting because I was going to say the character, I mean, you, yeah, you could see him having evolved to the point last season where he was supposedly happy, but I think what this says is, this is who he is. He is never going to be truly happy with either a certain woman who he has a relationship with or with his career or what he wants out of life. There's something in his makeup that makes him this way. And obviously it goes back to his childhood and, you know, the whole death of Don Draper and the identity he assumed. But that is just who he is. He is much like the way Tony Soprano you know, you could see him attempt at times to somewhat change or to make inroads with his either a son or his wife or to do whatever. He ultimately he was always going to be that character, even to the last episode, that predictable sort of behavior. And I think Don is much the same way, and he just will not change. The other thing about Don is we saw a few times in this episode that he really wants all his wife's attention doesn't like splitting Megan with her career, even though he seems to support her. He doesn't like when Megan gets on stage and bumps and grinds with that Hawaiian host in Hawaii. He doesn't like that. 
he doesn't like a lot of things. He just doesn't like to share Megan. In part, his way of getting back at her is cheating. Yeah, well, like I said, he's not happy. And he's unhappy, but maybe, you know, you said something about his childhood. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's saying that his mother, you know, his real, he didn't know his mother. Maybe subconsciously he's saying he wants his mother's attention, his mother being his wife. Mm -hmm. And when he doesn't get his mother's full attention, he plays around. And he does things that his mother doesn't want him to do i.e. cheats. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my pop psychology for for the day. I had this written down in my notes. A line someone said, and I don't remember who did it now. I just have the line where the person, and there's a secondary character, then they say, I want you to just be yourself. Oh, the photographer says that to Don. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Again. He can't do it. He can't do it. Again, going back to the core of this character, I think it was the beginning of season four where he's having yeah. an interview with, I think, the Wall Street Journal or whatever, and the guy right. says, okay, right. who is Don who Draper? Who is Don Draper? Exactly. Every season, someone poses this question to him, and the answer right. always is, this guy who has all these things, he has a beautiful wife, he has this job, and he's still not happy. So what does he want? Right. That's ultimately... What do you want? It goes back to that inscription again. Some things in life you do are just not your bag. What is his bag? You know, he, he doesn't know. And the audience is like, well, what do you want? <laughs> what is it you right. to make you happy? Is this going to be something we find out throughout the season? Or is this yet, like I said, a, sort of a Tony Soprano thing where it doesn't really matter. Whatever happens to him, he could have the greatest things happen to him and he will not be satisfied. All right. And then the other thing I just want to point out was it's been... Probably, if this happened in the end of December, early January, and Lane died back in Easter, so it's been a good nine months or so, the name of the firm is still Sterling right. Cooper Draper Price. Yet another reminder of death in this right. episode. Uh, do you guys have any final comments or things you want to bring up? I'm really surprised at sort of the popular sentiment that this episode, these two episodes were not good. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was very subtle. I thought there were so many themes that we could discuss here for the rest of the night if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know of too many shows that you can say that about. Yeah, I mean, aside from that weirdness at the beginning with the time jumping, I thought it was a pretty solid episode. It wasn't like one of the the great ones. This episode was directed by Scott Hornbacher, who also directed that one episode last season had the weird time jumps in it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's his thing. I don't know. But but aside from that, I thought it was a solid episode, not an exceptional episode, but certainly one that I felt didn't betray what we've thought of as a classic Mad Men type of episode. Yeah, I was really glad that they've established we're going to see Peggy a lot mm-hmm. in her new role. Mm-hmm. I was a little worried when she left that you know we may not see her as much, but we did. I just did love her. You've given me three the same idea three different ways. <laughs> well, <laughs> just cutting to the chase. Right. It was awesome. That was true. So, yes, it was. Yeah, but it's, it was a to- it's a totally a Don Draper line, though, isn't it? I mean, it she's is. become Don Draper. Yeah. Yes, she has, yeah. and I love that. But we still don't know who Don Draper is, so no, we don't. Beware, Peggy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and on a sentimental note, it is so much fun. To be talking Mad Men with you two again. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Same here. Same yeah. Here. yeah it just, it's, it's always fun, and you guys always give me something to think about. So, very nice. Yeah. Okay. So, I think that'll wrap up our discussion of this premiere episode for season six. 
just want to remind everyone that our website is madcast.net, but you can really probably get in touch with us the easiest way by going onto Facebook and looking up Scotch and Smokes podcast and finding our fan page there and like the page, add some comments and get in on the discussion. You can reach me. I'm on Twitter, JWJ170104. You can send your thoughts to me and uh, we will be glad to share them. In fact, I almost forgot, Brian. I'm Mm -hmm. so glad we actually got a feedback from a Brian Youngblood at Youngblood BB. My favorite part was Roger reluctantly hugging his receptionist with two glasses of vodka after hearing about his mother. Classic. So thank you, Brian, for sharing that with us. So you too can be included in the podcast. All you got to do is send us a tweet or post something on Facebook. Yes. You are the Twitter guy, Jesse. You have the, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's cool that you can, uh, we can get real-time response to yes. uh, our recording. Are you, do you have anything to plug, Seth? Are you doing anything right now? Um, actually, uh, there's a, an opening of a car wash that I'm going to be at tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So. Anyway, in the meantime, everyone continue to watch Mad Men. And thank you all for subscribing. And we'll see you again next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay. Good night.